0: Welcome to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. I am your host, Brian Higgins, and I am joined today by the coolest name we have had on the show to date and ever. I am joined by Pilgrim Benham. Pilgrim, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Doing great. That's, That's a great intro. I appreciate that.
0: I was worried that you had heard
1: that a bunch in your life. I heard it earlier today. Actually, I was getting my so tires done. A bunch in your life. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard it literally today. Yeah, getting my tires done, and the guy's like, "Your name's not Pilgrim. There's no way your parents would do that to you." And I'm like, "Yeah, thank you."
0: Do people just always assume it was like a rebellious 17 year old decision you made or like, yeah, like I'm like, I
1: know my parents were, my, my parents were hippies. And, and so I, I found out years later that I grew up in a commune. I didn't even know it at the time, but we well, had multiple families. We had like flannel sheets for doors and we did bonfires out back with you know worship music they were christian so it was kind of a christian commune it was actually kind of a rad way to grow up but yeah i did not like it in middle school it was it was not fun
0: <laughs> it was a, it was a tough name to bring to 7th grade yeah yeah you got that you know
1: substitute teacher looking at the roster and she's like there's no way this is someone's name and you're
0: like here so you're like no it's just me <laughs> yeah so well, so it was ye- rough but i like it now You've already brought up things that I feel like we could just do an hour on that, but I won't do that to you. I'm sure that you get all of those follow-up questions. Today, what we're doing is we are talking about church planting. One of the things that I've mentioned very briefly on the show before is that God has kind of called my wife and I into a season where we're beginning, we're in the very early stages of planting a church in central New Jersey. And one of the things that I have discovered and have felt very deeply is that I am, I am, I very much understand Solomon when he says, Lord, I am but a child. What are you doing picking me? And so I kind of want to be able to do two things with this conversation. Uh, the first is just very selfishly, I just want to be able to talk to people who have <laughs> done this before and try to learn as much as I can. So half of these questions are just going to be these are the things I'm thinking through right now and thank you for taking the time to talk through them. But the second thing I want to be able to do is we talk a lot on this show about what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And for many, I wonder if the thinking is, well, I don't think I'll be a lead pastor, so I don't really need to learn about church planting. I don't really need to know a bunch about it. But I'm sure one of the things we're going to talk through is nobody plants a church successfully by themselves. So I want to be able to kind of make this an intro course, so to speak, on what church planting is all about. Does that sound good? Yeah. Love it. Awesome. So let's start with just your story. What's kind of the the three to four minute version of how you got into ministry and how church planting has played a role in that?
1: Sure. Yeah. So my wife and I basically went to Bible college, we went to Calvary Chapel Bible College, Marietta, back in 0102. And she actually kind of attended some of the classes with me, but essentially worked full time for me to go through Bible college. We knew God had called us, um, into ministry. And so we had been married a year and we were both like, let's, let's go for it. You know, if you're a doctor, you go to med school. If you're going to be a lawyer, you go to law school. So is there a pastor school? Like we didn't, we didn't know know, where to go. (laughs) So our uh, leadership was like, Hey, you should, you should go to there's there now have this incredible campus at Marietta. And that was like the beginning, like the first few years they were there. Um, so we packed everything up from Florida um, and went out to Bible college. And basically our church called us back halfway through. So we'd gone a year and they said, why don't you come back and intern over the summer? Um, we had been doing a little bit of youth ministry before. We just had a huge heart and still do for students. And so we said, sure. Yeah, that sounds great. So we had been actually offered another internship with the church we were at in California just for that year to come and do church planting in Belize. And I know Belize is actually at that time anyway, was an English speaking country, but we felt like it might be a little easier, you know, safer, more familiar to go back home. So we started doing youth ministry and did that for about 10 years, uh, full time, and then started listening to you know, Matt Chandler, Tim Keller, Mark Driscoll, this is about 06, 07, And they're using words like contextualization. And I'm reading through a missions book on how you contextualize the gospel to an unreached people group, like a tribe in Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. Well, then I hear these current guys in these metropolitan cities using that same language. And they're saying, yeah, you got to contextualize the gospel to the hipsters in Seattle I was like, well, wait a minute. I've seen some of those guys in, in Florida and, you know, in the Apple store. So wait a minute. So the gospel, we, we could go overseas and do missions, but, you know, as as uh, many, it's kind of that current idea that we're all on mission. And so let's take the gospel across the world. Yes, we need that. But we also need it across the street. So we just got kind of like where you can't, you know, once you hear it, you can't unhear it. And we were kind of mm-hmm. wrecked. We we started having this unho- like there's an unholy discontent and then there's a holy discontent. We were super like, I think there's a little bit of both there, but we we were ready um, to go. So we started praying. We originally had a different city in mind and we brought it to our elders and they were like, we don't think that's where God's calling you. And we were like, we think it is. And so we kind of got into a little, it almost was going to be a, a situation. And that morning as we were going to go meet with the elders, I had no idea they were going to let me go. They were going to terminate me for like being insubordinate. Oh, wow. And so that morning, Jen and myself, we had our quiet time separately and both of us ended up in Hebrews 13, 17, which says, you know, obey your elders, honor your your elder, because that would make, you know, their job a a blessing, you know, don't make it Mm -hmm. harder than it needs to be. So we were like, both of us came together like, wow, we're on the same page here. So we kind of went into that meeting saying, hey, we know two things. We know that God's calling us to plant a church eventually. And number two, we'll do whatever you guys think. And the whole mm. room, like the energy in the room, just like, it was like letting out of, you know, air out of the balloon. Everyone was just totally inflated, excited, full of joy. And they were like, well, let's do it. So within the next year, we started praying about, would this be, you know, an urban or a suburban or a, a rural context? We definitely want to be urban. We were about 30, 31 at that time. So the average age of your church is the, the, the majority are about 10 years younger and older than you than the pastor. So we figured, okay, we're 30. So it's going to be a young church, 20 to 40 for the majority. And we had so much experience in youth ministry where within four to seven years, you have a whole new congregation. So we had done that Mm -hmm. for 12 years. We knew how to do quick discipleship and really fellowship quickly. So we were like, maybe it's going to be in a military town or a college town where there's a military base where those people need to develop quick friendships and are ready to jump in uh, to church quickly. So We prayed about Austin, Texas. We prayed about Charleston, South Carolina. And then both of those, like Austin had 25 church plants in the downtown area. And then Charleston was just not a good fit for our vibe. We were, you know, that's more like Bible belt, you know, seafood. We did, it just wasn't us at all. Like, and it turns out a church plant ended up there like around the same time, which is awesome. So someone kind of said the name Tampa and that's only an hour away. And, and It's just like ringing in my ears, Tampa, Tampa. So we drove up to just cross it off. We were not into it. As soon as we get into downtown, it was very clear. Like this was home. I think I went into a Publix, like a grocery store. And there was a, like a 20 year old guy wearing the same outfit I had on. And you know, what we're used to, I'm already here. Hey, there's my doppelganger. So it was just super clear. A lot of really rad things happened. God provided. It was incredible. Very urban, young, broke, (laughs) Those three go together usually. And so we were grinding it out. I was working at Apple as an expert. I was working as a sermon research assistant. I worked at Starbucks for two weeks just to, you know, and then my wife was home with two young kids. So it was, it was rough and very slow going. But then as soon as things really were on the up and up, we had a major elder dispute and a church split. It just was really awful. The first three years, And then as soon as Mm. things were on the rebound and incredible, God kind of stirred our hearts to turn the church over to our associate pastor and then move here to our hometown, which is kind of where we left. It's about an hour south of Tampa, little coastal, you know, kind of a sleepy town called Bradenton and more of a suburban church plant. And so we came down here and kind of used a little bit of what we had learned. But ultimately, it's a different work. It's a different work of the spirit. And I mean, within within like three months, we had already eclipsed the size of the church in Tampa. And it just, it just grew very quickly. And so it's been a very, both churches are functioning well, both are healthy, both have a plurality of leaders. They are, you know, supporting missionaries, both churches have baptized, you know, dozens of believers this last year. So God's doing a really cool work. And now we're just, we love being a resource for church planners. And I'm still pastoring the second church here. And uh, it's called Shoreline and just, yeah, enjoying what God's doing. That's
0: awesome. Yeah, that's super exciting to hear that it's not a one work or the other. It's all right, Lord, we're just going to be faithful to you. And the result is now that there are two thriving communities where people uh, grow in their faithfulness to Jesus. That's awesome. Yeah. There's there's so much in there that I have a bunch of questions about. But before we jump into that, I just kind of want to I want to tap into like your Remember the Titans, Denzel, Washington, and just go like total hype train. Church planting is one of those phrases that means a whole lot within a really small group of people. But there's probably a bunch of people where they have never considered the idea of church planting. They maybe don't even fully know what it is and Maybe the thought is like, oh, it's it's just starting other churches. You know, there are already churches. Shouldn't we just get behind the ones that are already out there? Shouldn't we just, you know, try and build up the things that already exist? If someone asked you simply why church planting, what would you say to them?
1: Yeah, well, I would say there are in every generation, there are lost people right now. Currently in the world, there's still 7000 unreached people groups. So, if you look globally at the task, we are close to finishing the work that Jesus gave us to begin in matthew twenty eight So the great commission is still continuing two thousand years later, and we're, we only have seven thousand unreached you know groups left and an unreached means they don't have a church in their heart language that speaks mm-hmm. in the heart language that is sufficient enough to be self-sustaining and have the resources to then raise up church planners or you know missionaries and send out. So that being said, Every generation, every every place around the world has lost people. And we know that we could, you know, fly a plane over certain countries in Africa and drop leaflets in languages. But that, that isn't essentially what we're not just here only, and I think you know what I mean by this. We're not here solely mm-hmm. to evangelize and that's it. We we've seen the numbers of how many people came to Christ through Billy Graham's ministry, which is a great ministry, but you know, how many of them became churched? How many of them were discipled? Mm-hmm and equipped. So, I believe in the local church, the the power of, you know, the gathering. And so, we want to see more healthy churches planted, which just means, you know, that that phrase is kind of a niche phrase, but, you know, starting churches, beginning new uh viable, healthy church communities. And so, you know, some people define it differently. You get these mission organizations that say, "We planted 3,000 churches this year." Uh and it's like, "Well, what's your definition of church?" And so, I would say if you've sent out a, a healthy, well, I, let's just say biblical. You've sent out a biblical elder who meets the qualifications from Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3, or you could use pastor for that. You've sent someone out who's called and equipped and it should be hopefully with a team, but you sent them out from a faithful church and then eventually that church has elders raised up. Remember, Paul told Titus, that's why I left you on Crete, like there's unfinished work. And so I, I would define a church as, you know, we've started something, from scratch maybe it, it came out from a, an existing church but maybe not and you know you're able to see a viable leadership where they're taking communion and they're baptizing you know the the two sacraments if you would are taking place so to say like well we planted a church well tell me more well it's two guys at a bar and they talk about jesus that's you know they might be like the you planted church. a
0: conversation <laughs>
1: yeah so that, that I wouldn't define that as like a viable, mm-hmm. you know, self-existent church. So yeah, I think the need is, is huge.
0: Yeah. I, I love the beginning of that answer of basically why plant churches because Jesus and Paul said so <laughs> Like mm-hmm. the idea that it, that is the exact work that church plants are stemming off of that. Jesus said, go out, preach my name, baptize people, show people what the new life with me is like. And then Paul said, hey, make sure you do it in groups. Like that's exactly what we're carrying on. And yeah, that's fantastic. So thinking about establishing healthy churches, biblical churches, the way that you were saying, one of the things you mentioned in your story was there was a moment where you saw things very differently from the elders of the church that were sending you out. When I think about a church planter, I think about someone who is really excitable and really knows where they're going and they know how to rally people together. And there's this real strong belief in the vision that they have, but there also needs to be submitting to leadership and not going solo. How do you balance... Being really assured in what God has given you, but also being willing to listen to older, wiser leaders. Yeah, well,
1: I think some guys you can you can plant one of two ways. You can um, either send yourself. So you know, Jesus seems to be pretty serious about as the Father has sent me, so I send you know thee or send you. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you see in, in the book of John, this consistent, you're being sent, you know, Jesus is sent and then he's in the same manner. He was incarnational. So he came in the flesh and in the same way I was sent from the father to you in the flesh, I'm sending you to be incarnational to the world. And so that, that is what we've been called to do to be flesh. There's a great book by Hugh Halter called flesh, where he kind of gets into that highly recommend it. It's a great read, but that means that, we should be if we you know kind of trace our lineage back to the reformation and ultimately back to peter then we're saying hey i'm not like sending myself i'm i may feel a call but i need someone to to kind of c- confirm that to say yeah you are called to this or no you're not ready for this let's wait but i that's where i think it becomes dangerous is like dude i'm zealous i'm passionate the spirit is with me and i have my bible and that's all i need and so i'm just going to go for it and and i think that's admirable, like, yeah, we need great faith. And that is, I don't want to say required, but it's, I don't know how you could plan a church or start a ministry without faith, right? We got to have that (laughs) faith and the zeal and the excitement. But I just think it's so critical and biblical that we have someone get behind us and say, we're for you. We see this. And so, yeah, I kind of went into the meeting with that first idea of like, Hey, you guys know I'm called, you know, I'm zealous, but I think we overplay that, that like, calling like, Hey, you told me no, but I'm called. So I'm going to do it anyway. But what if God's part of God's call for you was to kind of chop you down at the knees for a minute and have you go through a time of testing because you look in the scriptures and you see that constantly before Joseph is used greatly. We could have just bypassed that whole song and dance. Just, just have him bypass all that. And he's a faithful, smart guy. Just go straight to Pharaoh and he can take care of his brothers. But see part of it was the humiliation, the trial, And so I think if guys would be willing to sit through some of that, you know, the Lord will really bless them. Because unfortunately, if we close an early chapter in our life poorly, then it kind of revisits us later often where we now have a young guy who's passionate and we're the senior pastor. And so, yeah, I just think it's good to submit, listen. And if they say don't go yet or wait, then be willing to do that.
0: Yeah, I think that that's such a great point. Thinking through what it's like on the other side of that. As I've begun thinking about the prospect of church planting, I find myself going back to meetings that I had with my senior pastor or with other pastors that were over me saying like, no, I think we should just go ahead and do this. And I look back and think, man, I would have felt terrible if I were on the other side of that meeting. So, you know, thinking through, it's like the first time you saw your dad as a person instead of just as some guy named dad. And you're like, oh yeah, you were thinking through things and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Kind of along uh, a similar line, you were also bringing up that you had a couple cities that you were looking at and there was a lot of thought that was going into them. How churched are these people? How similar am I to these people? One of the things that personally I really love is just building out a plan. I love being able to sit down and write out ideas and think through like, oh, what are the top 10 least church cities in America? Like, oh, just pick one of these 10 and I must be doing a good thing. And then there's this big emphasis on building the strategy of church planting, which I think has been a great thing, as long as it's still being done with a spirit led mentality. How did you find the balance of I'm thinking and strategizing and planning through just what makes sense. Like you talked about going to Charleston and you're like, I just don't fit in here. I, that doesn't feel like it's a spirit led kind of a thing. If that makes sense, it feels like just a natural seeing how personalities vibe kind of a thing. How do you mix the natural with the, okay, but Lord, if you say something, you know, beyond what our planning is, we're willing to run after that. Yeah.
1: Well, first of all, I think people make it a false dichotomy where they say mm-hmm. like, oh, this is spirit and that's pragmatism. So if you have mm-hmm. any plans or any marketing or any, you know, strategy, then you're in the flesh, bro. That's your Galatians, you know, the, you, you began in the spirit. Now you're in the flesh. It's like, no, but, but over here. Okay. So it's all spiritual. And yet you look at the map of just, you know, Calvary Chapel and the spirit seemed to be leading so many surfers to coastal cities around the world. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, the Holy spirits in it. I, I think that it's, that's a false dichotomy. I, I think that we are missionaries first and then we're not even second businessmen, but you know, we're missionaries first and foremost and primarily. So if you go into it, abandoning that, and saying, well, we're going to start a business. And this is, you know, yes, there is a business aspect to, to the church. It's it's a formal organized, you receive, you know, you have a bank account, you receive uh, financial support and you've got, you know, obviously things to jump hoops to jump through with the government. But yeah, at the end of the day, we are following the Holy spirit. You look at Paul and he's on this missionary journey with some specific plans. And yet then the spirit closes the door and he just says he forbid us to go into Asia. And then, you know, on another occasion, there's a, there's a very clear vision or dream to go into Greece. And so, you know, you kind of, okay, Lord, this is what we believe you're calling us to do. And you're going to use the, like, what was that? Was that a sickness? Was that a governmental block? You know, was there literally a border they were unable to cross because of some war or some situation they couldn't come into Asia. We don't know exactly, but you know, to say I'm called to this part of the country and yet the, there's a complete mismatch. The Lord could still use it, but what we did, man, we we actually looked at the whole map of the US because we knew we'd be stateside and we wanted to be kind of more of a stateside hub that could send out missionaries overseas to unreached mm-hmm. areas and we're doing that now. But we we wanted to start stateside. So we just looked at the map and I told my wife, look at the country. What three states would you love to raise our two kids? We have a five at that time, a five and a two-year-old. So where do we want to raise a family? And we both picked generally the same kind of three states. And and that just made it easier to eliminate instead of throwing a dart at the map. And then from there, that's where we started narrowing down cities. What what city's gonna make sense? Now, the the Lord again could still use you in an area that is completely against the grain, but that for us was was super easy and helpful to, to kind of narrow the map down. So we just looked at it like, Hey, if Paul, the apostle were to visit us here and, and say, Hey, let's, let's go on a missions trip locally, where would he go? And for us, it was like, well, he'd go to the nearest metropolis and he'd probably go to the synagogue, but he'd go to the biggest city and then work his way out from there. And my uncle told me something super simple and super helpful. He's like, when I go fishing I don't just pray Lord show me where the fish are. He goes I go out on my boat and I use a fish finder and if there is a spot where there's fish then I let down you know for a catch. And so he's like you need to go where the fish are. And you know I think where where a place where you would want to live is not carnal. I think that's just using wisdom. And you know I yeah I think sometimes we just separate the two and like well that's spiritual that's that's carnal and We have Mm -hmm. to use wisdom. We have to use pragmatism a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, that absolutely makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I love that idea of just use the fish finder. That feels like it could be a quick phrase that kind of gets picked up into a a church plants vernacular and becomes kind of a guiding principle. Whenever I hear people talk about church planting, people who have done it before, I kind of hear it talked about the way that people talk about having kids of they begin with say goodbye to sleep, say goodbye to privacy. Here are all of the things that are going to be terrible about it. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. Yeah. And with church planting all the time, it's brought up as this incredibly difficult spiritual, psychological, emotional, financial test. What have been some of the biggest struggles that have come up for you personally in church planting? And how have you been able to face those things?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think that's absolutely true. I like to say to guys, it's the best and the hardest, or you could say the best and the worst thing that you'll ever do. Right out of the gate, you have to do everything. So now you're the decathlete. You know, you're know, you used to being the the solo sport guy. Maybe you're in a youth ministry. And now you're like, oh, I'm going to go plant a church. And if you go with the mentality of like, I'm going to do it the way my pastor didn't do it because I'm better, you know, you probably, if you're a youth pastor, come from an established and well oiled, you know, not legacy, but a church that's been around for a while. So to plant from scratch, you know, everything changes. So you go from a church of whatever, several hundred or thousand to now you're, you're doing everything. You're the graphic designer. You're the usher. You are. Even in some context, the worship leader, you know, we, my wife and I try to encourage people, don't just shoe in the pastor's wife to be the worship, you know, a backup singer and the Mm -hmm. kids ministry. She needs to be, you know, being used where God's called her specifically and where she's gifted, but, and where she wants to serve. But yeah, so now you're, you're doing everything. You're the maintenance guy. You're the banker you're the marketer, you're the social media expert, you're updating the website. So I think just from time a time perspective, if you're able to be vocational or fully supported right out of the gate, either way, you're going to be um, splitting your time. So you, you're used to preparing 20 plus hours a week, maybe on a sermon. Now it's like, you got to be content if you're vocational with four to six hours, uh, or mm-hmm. you're getting up, you're staying up late Saturday or you're up early Sunday. So- Yeah. Everything, everything that dynamic changes financially for us. We were in our first church, you know, like I said, I was working three different jobs at one point and we were just getting destroyed and we had people dropping off canned goods. We had our power turned off one time. We just were, we're really falling behind. And I was too prideful to just go to people and say, "Will you think about supporting us for the first two years. So second church, we said, no, we're going to, we're going (laughs) to ask people, no shame. We need help. And so, and I ended up getting a job that made a little more sense. I was a, an educator. So I I went into teaching at a Christian school and doing their chapel versus working retail, which is, you know, goodbye family every weekend Mm -hmm. and every evening. So that schedule worked a lot better. And we had three or four families and two churches supporting us for a small amount a month, but for the first year. And we were actually after the first year able as a church to sustain our family to go full time. So that was awesome. But yeah, time wise, financially, those are going to be huge, maybe shock to the system that you're not ready for. But I also think there's a, there's maybe a pride thing where we want our churches that are starting out to be legitimate. So we want to project out there to Instagram, you know, and elsewhere, like, wow, things are happening. God's on the move. And so I think we can manufacture things a little quickly where we want to just see things happen and have Mm -hmm. something to, you know, report. And I know missionaries struggle with that overseas. Like, oh, we got to write the newsletter this month. You know, what's going on? We got to say something. And so I found myself tempted to give some men leadership really quickly. And that's what I was saying earlier. We had kind of an elder uh, fallout in that first church Mm -hmm. plant because we gave some men who I didn't really trust or know way too much authority. And and they basically sabotaged and Mm -hmm. abused that authority really quickly. So all of that stemmed from my desire to want to, again, appear like, Things are really moving and shaking and God's doing this. Look, we already have four elders and it's like, we should just, just take your time. Take two, three years to develop one elder, Mm -hmm. have other men on your board, other people that you trust help you out in the meantime. But yeah, so those are some of the pitfalls that, that we fell into. If I could go back and do it over, I would take a true day off, spend that time with my kiddos. It's actually a little bit hard when I see pictures from that first year Of my five, when my son was five, he's 17 now. When I see pictures of him and my daughter, five and two, I I actually like usually get choked up and cry because I kind of missed a big chunk of that year. So Mm -hmm. yeah, if I can encourage guys to not be that guy, you know, then do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it it sounds like so much of what you're talking about is keeping pure motives. You know, when I think about, when I think about the idea of just building a church, the, the real hope is that, you know, 60 years from now, that church is going to be thriving and you're going to be with Jesus, you know, when you think about what the real long-term goal is. And so it doesn't have to be this great thing day one. And this is very much me reminding myself this of, as I say this, it doesn't have to be this great thing day one. It's better that it's this slow developing, you know, a slow cooked meal as opposed to a microwave TV dinner, essentially. Yeah, for sure. So thinking about keeping motives pure. What are some of the bad motives that you found creep in either in your own mind or your family's mind through the process or in the minds of some of the other people that came along to support?
1: Some bad motives as a church planner. Yeah. So if you, I think I said a minute ago, if you're leaving your church because you believe you can do things better than your pastor, you might actually be right. And a lot of us, might be more gifted than the guy who is kind of passing the baton, but you know we don't want to be the angry rebellious teenager who's like, "Let me run the household." So I, I think some guys have a chip on their shoulder, so they're they're ready to mm-hmm. go out and kind of like prove themselves, and you'll you'll be proven for sure. You'll be proven. So I, th- I think that's that's a dangerous one. I think when we go to try to maybe in a, in a disunified way, try to go into a town to be the church that no one else is going to be. So (laughs) I made this mistake in Tampa. We, Tampa was like a cautionary tale. I'm going to, I'm going to write a book someday about that. (laughs) Like don't do any of these things. So (laughs) we, we basically put out a radio ad. Because I'm looking around at the churches around, and I'm like, man, there is just there's just something about Tampa and South Tampa. There's like there's like a like a fakeness to it. It's a it's a plastic kind of Mm -hmm. vibe. So we named our church Reality Church. We weren't connected with the Reality guys. I actually talked Mm -hmm. to Tim Chaddock, and he said, yeah, that's great, you're doing that, but no, we're not connected. And I'm like, that's (laughs) fine, as long as you don't sue me, we're good. And so we we but that was our thing. Like that's missing from this area, and we attracted a lot of people who were kind of burned out on the plastic church. So that was, that was a good thing to name is very appropriate name, but we put a, an ad on the radio that said, finally a church that deals with real life. And and when I put that oh. ad, on, I'm like, yes, this is it. And then I hear, <laughs> you know, I hear it suddenly the first time I hear it, I'm like, Oh my gosh, that is so offensive.
0: I will never be friends with another pastor in this town.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what am I thinking? And so what we basically just said was every church in town is not dealing with real life. And yet we are God's gift to this entire city. We will be the church that does that. And I think that's We've just come
0: to solve the problem. Yeah,
1: I am here. So I just think that's super, su- obviously super prideful. You're there. God's doing a work already. And whether every other church, you know, is a is a established denominational nightmare God's still doing a work in that city. And so kind of having that humble attitude of like, let's join what he's doing. Let's plant the gospel in a, in a, maybe a unique or fresh way that, or fresh area that hasn't been exposed to it. And if a church grows out of it, that's great, but we're here to plant the gospel. And so I think that takes away the, Hey, this, the name of this church, this organization, this entity, this brand, this logo is going to change everything. Mm -hmm. I think we have to humble ourselves a little bit and realize that the spirit of God gripping men's hearts is the one who's going to affect change. And we get to be a part of that and he could choose to bypass us and use someone else, but I don't want, I want to be, you know, used mightily and effectively. So yeah, I think just having that humility Mm -hmm. is super important, but those are some definite pitfalls I've seen. And again, the one where we send ourselves and Mm -hmm. and kind of cut ourselves off uh, from anyone else's input is definitely dangerous.
0: Yeah. No, that, that's so good. One of the things that I've been thinking through and kind of praying through, I love that phrase of we should be planting the gospel. And if a church comes out of it, so be it. Yeah. Thinking through the idea of what is the result of planting a church? And the result is that a community of faithful believers encourage one another, experience God in a different way, and are able to share that with the world around them. It's like, okay, well, let's just chase those results. Yeah. You know, let's start pursuing that as an idea and before there's ever a church name before there's ever an organization, it's very, I, I think of a lot of things in sports metaphors. So I think about a Nick Saban at Alabama talking about, you need to love the process of scoring touchdowns. And if you're good at that, then you'll just keep winning. You know, if, if you love just doing well on the next play, the process of getting to where you need to go, then you'll always keep getting there. And so if we love the process of seeing people brought out of the kingdom of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of light, and then grown up to be a beacon of light to the people around them, that will eventually look like something that everyone says, oh yeah, that's a church. They should start, start calling that a church. But if the goal is like, we have a really killer social media presence, then you, know, you can wind up missing the essential elements that make a church a church.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we also have to guard against trying to be the coolest, you know, hippest cutting edge, you know, thing in town. I I met a church planner and that was kind of his, that was kind of his thing. He's like, dude, nobody's seen this, you know, a church, this dialed into, you know, their website and social media. And man, we're, you know, Mm. when you walk in, our environments are just, you know, um, incredible. And he wasn't wrong. Like they, it was pretty awesome. Uh, but that's not, yeah, again, that's not the goal. That's not the win. Every, every team, every sport to use a sport analogy, every sport has a, a score. They have a scoreboard. So for hockey, you know, a score of one to zero is a great game. And, you know, if we're talking baseball score to one to zero is okay. Basketball, something happened, something's wrong. And yeah. so we play by a different scoreboard and we just have to remind ourselves that that the end result is that lives are transformed, that the name of God is glorified, you know? So to to try to promote ourselves or to to be the coolest church in town. I think that's that's the wrong scoreboard for sure.
2: Mhm.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, to pull back from, you know, part of the appeal to be the coolest church in town is in part because sometimes people are looking for the coolest church in town. Sometimes they want to be at the place that has the coolest worship presentation, they have the best video stuff, they have all that. And, you know, particularly if a lot of people planting churches are younger people, then the creative arts that can go into church, they can be really appealing. How do you decipher the difference between this is the kind of church I would like. So I'm going to try to make that versus this is the kind of church God actually wants me to plant. Yeah. Well,
1: I think if that's the, you know, if that's the leading edge of the conversation, then you're really just looking at attracting more Christians So, Mm -hmm. you know, to say like, we want to, we want to be the cool church or we want to have the, I think it's going to adopt the personality and the style. So we don't talk a lot about style in church, but it is going to adopt a sense of style and, and flavor and culture. So at our church, we, you know, we want to celebrate, we want to talk about what we celebrate and celebrate what we talk about. And Mm -hmm. so we're going to, we're going to constantly look back and reflect on things to celebrate. And that's that in a, in a small way is style. You know, in, in, in some ways, you know, on the flip side of that, if you're a part of a church where it was a, you know, like a shame culture, you know, then constantly in the announcements, you're going to hear things, you know, how horrible the culture is. And so that, Mm. that's going to begin to, you know, change the culture of that church. As far as like style, I think that it's going to often take shape around your leadership team. And so, yeah, I, I think we should still strive a little bit for the church that we, we want. You know, but keeping Mm -hmm. in mind that on any given Sunday, I'm walking to the back to help the one gal with the walker come in, or the old man with the wheelchair, and I'm I'm bending Mm -hmm. down to talk with her because she can't straighten up to six foot where I'm at. So I'm bending down on my knees to, to hear how her week was and I'm hugging her. And then I'm, you know, I'm giving a kiss on the forehead of this dear man who's got, you know, just a few more months to live. And that's not really cool. You know, I'm not doing that up front. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that for attention. And these people aren't the coolest in the community, but they need the gospel and they need our love and they need our shepherding. So, you know, I think just, you know, wow, you're going to be wowed by the font we use in our bulletins. You know, I, I think that's a church that's churchy, you know, we're attracting and impressing church people, but there's lost people. And so let's not try to impress them. Let's try to reach them. And I think that's, that's the key
0: difference. Mm-hmm. No, that, that's so good. I, I think one of the things this last year has really showed a lot of people is that the things that we thought we valued aren't actually the things that we valued. You know, it's, it's really easy, particularly when you're in an established church and you have a staff that is able to focus on the presentation for lack of a better word. It does get really exciting to talk about like, Oh, look at how cool this graphic looks or look at how fun this video is. Like it it is really interesting to think through some of that stuff. But when you think about, what is it that you really missed from being able to be physically in church when there was that, you know, complete shutdown for a while? No one was saying like, man, I just miss seeing those fonts. Like everyone was talking about, I miss how the people that were there were true leaders and servants. I miss the connection. I miss the way that the people that were there were very thoughtful. And, you know, it's a whole different, set of you know criteria of this is what I actually valued so I love what you're saying learning to focus on what are the people actually gonna feel loved by yeah focus on that stuff and then when you get to do some more fun stylistic things run at that too but not at the expense of the other
1: yeah absolutely I mean 2020 was a gift man we I think we realized we've been leaning our ladder on the wrong wall you know this whole time and so mm-hmm. now you've got just a screen and a speaker and you don't have all the fluff. And I think we, we realized, man, there's there's got to be more than this. And, and this is not, watching this thing on my screen is not really church. You know, I'm observing a speaker or a, mm-hmm. a music team, but this isn't church. And so, yeah, I, I'm so thankful. When we first came back together, we, we didn't stop meeting long. We're in Florida. We're the Wild West. so But it was even just missing a month or two. It was the sweetest time of, of singing. And so just being reminded, like, you're right. You know, what's what's most important?
0: So I have one last selfish question before I start jumping into kind of the team-based questions. One of the things that I really don't want to become is a church tyrant. I don't want to be the guy that just sits at the top and sends down the edicts and you either get in line or you get out but i also know that there's this the the darker evil voice within me like i hear a story where it's like oh yeah we brought some elders in and they didn't have the best motives and you know it 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 turned out to be a real issue for us there's a small part of me that's like you see what happens when you let other people make decisions you you just got to be the one person to do it you need to get everybody else out of the way how can you Lead a church plant inclusively, making sure that you're not the only one leading it. You're bringing other people into the decision making process. You're helping people feel like this is our church that we're planting, not just my church that you're helping plants. How do you do that without just completely handing over the responsibility to other people that perhaps may not be ready for that yet?
1: Well, I think a
0: couple things.
1: So if you're able, first of all, if you're able to plant with a team, I highly recommend that. I think that we don't talk enough about church plant teams. And yet when we see Paul, he's going out with an apostolic band, which sounds like something that should be on Spotify, but he's got an apostolic band. It's and like an
0: alternate Beatles. Exactly. We're the apostolic band. That's
1: right. And yet we often will just go out with our, just, you know, solo with our wife. And so I think, I think it's key to go out with, you know, if two guys feel called to, plan a church. One of them is more gifted at maybe the administrative executive style or side of things. And one of them is a little more gifted at at preaching, teaching, or one of them is more discipleship. Maybe they should go together. Maybe they should do this together. I think we'll see more of that in our culture in the West more. I I just have a prediction. It'll be less business arc model in the future and a little more of Mm -hmm. the homegrown clusters of really gifted, good friends who are going together and doing this. So, so that would be first is like, if you're able to go with people who know you and support you and love you, cause it's going to be hard, then do that. But secondly, you can delegate tasks, but not responsibility. So delegation hmm. is key and there's a ton of great business podcasts and books on it, but you want to, you want to distill down to the things that only you can do and then delegate everything else. So for a while I was doing our podcast, I was doing our website, I was doing our social media. I mean, pretty much as much I liked doing it. I, I'm creative, so I like to do that kind of stuff. But then, you know, I what can only I do? Well, I can't farm out or delegate praying for the church. Like, hey, Bob, will you just pray? I don't have enough time this week. Will you pray for the church? <laughs> so I'm going to pray. Um, I'm not going to ask someone else. Now, if I'm traveling a little bit, I should have someone that can stand up and step in the pulpit but I'm going to be the one preaching or teaching. And then I can't ask someone else to fully develop our team or develop leaders. So people. So for me, the big three are prayer, preaching and people. And those those are the things only I can do. And I have to focus most of my time on that and everything else. Mm -hmm. I have to be quick to delegate and trust. And and if they don't understand, then it's on me for not training them. So at the beginning of the church plan, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of communicating, a lot of delegating. You want to, really guard against being the tyrant. And I think some pastors who maybe are more uh, type B, their wives unfortunately become the tyrant. So their wives are the ones who mm-hmm. are running a lot of things. And your wife is not necessarily, uh, unless that's your ecclesiology, but but in our tribe, we wouldn't necessarily say that your wife is the co-pastor, mm-hmm. the co-lead pastor, right? So the the buck kind of falls and stops with you ultimately, or the elder team, the elder board, and so, when you first start out, I think it's really wise to have a team of other pastors who know you, or who are for you, or both. It would be ideally ideally they're for you and they they know you, and they're for your church, and they have experience. And so, when you come into a major issue, you know, you can kind of call on them to help you help you out with it. If you end up in a situation where you're constantly bullying people and bossing people around, then you're you're really just yeah you're not there. Those people aren't there for you necessarily. You're there to lead and direct. So I I think just Mm kind of guarding your heart. If you're getting that feedback, then really doing some self-reflection, but having a team, either of outside board that can kind of help. So you're not the only decision maker. So, you know, people won't necessarily accuse you of like, Hey, Brian, you just on your own, you decided to buy this building. Like, and we don't have any money. So where'd you get that you know, capital, like, especially as the church grows, people are going to want financial accountability and we should be willing to provide that. So to say, well, it's something I prayed about, I submitted it to our outside board and they kind of helped me make the final decision. That sounds way better. And it's way more healthy than, well, yeah, the church bank account was full. So, you know, we went ahead. It's better than I wanted it. (laughs) Yeah. We needed a Tesla for the church. It's, (laughs) it's the advertising is going to be off, off, you know, it's efficient ministry.
0: It's good for the environment.
1: Yes. So, yeah, I, I think it's super, super key to have a plurality of guys. You know, you look in some people say, well, well, Calvary Chapel does the Moses model. If you look in that, you know, original description in Exodus, they were still, these men were still handling a lot of the ministry, a lot of the counseling, a lot of the mm-hmm. disputing, a lot of the justice. The only time Moses was really involved was at the absolute like crazy Supreme Court case that he needed to take care of. But all of these men, even in battle, they're lifting up his arms. He wasn't alone. So to kind of caricature it as like, well, I'm the only guy, I make all the decisions. That's what Pastor Chuck used to do. That's that's completely erroneous. That's not mm. that's not the the model. So my personal preference is, you know, you have a, a team of guys around you and you're the lead among them. Like like Peter says, hey, I'm a fellow elder and he writes to other elders. Mm -hmm. Um, And he says, Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's a good chief shepherd, but there's still a guy, you know, in acts and the Jerusalem council, you've got, you've got, you know, Peter is the, the senior pastor of Jerusalem, but then you've got James kind of running the show at that Jerusalem. He's the one kind of directing and leading that in acts 15. So there's other men that should have input. If they're sabotaging then you raised them up too quick or they were dishonest. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately that can happen. But I think sometimes we're a little too afraid to give people responsibilities, start slow, give them a little thing, give them feedback, see how they receive the feedback, give them a book to read, you know, give them, give them announcements. Can you get up and do announcements Sunday? And if he totally Mm -hmm. tanks it or do communion, totally boffs it, give him the feedback. If he doesn't receive it, then something's wrong. So, you know, there's little, little tests you can give people. Mm -hmm. The guys that I had, I asked them to read a book. And the one guy told me, I don't need to read books. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, huge red flag, right? Run, <laughs> you know, run away. And and I just was like, well, he's smart. He's older. You know, maybe he's too busy to read. And I just kept making concessions and and they just trashed the church. So yeah, give them little tests and and listen to feedback. I think it's also good to have team meetings where you ask your initial church planning, you know, dream team, whatever you name them, the vision team, the serve team is what we went with. But, you know, have regular meetings where you're giving vision and and teaching them and praying together. And then just, just totally stop the meeting and say, I just, I need some help guys. I need some feedback. How am I leading? I need specific adjectives. What can Mm -hmm. I improve? And that's, it hurts and it's so helpful. So Mm -hmm. those are some ways you can temper that a little bit.
0: It's kind of like the, the whole church leading version of listening back to your own sermons. It's the cringiest thing you can do. And yet it is like the most surefire way to grow as a preacher, just to hear what you actually sounded like, not what you thought you sounded like. Yeah, yes. that's That's really good. Thinking through the idea of a team. I think we talk a lot about pastors identifying their calling. I have been to, you know, multiple pastors conferences where the idea of identifying and standing solid in pastoral calling is is really well discussed. And it's super helpful that that happens. What we don't often talk about is helping people that aren't going to be the lead pastor or aren't even going to assume the title pastor at some point, help them figure out their calling within the church plan. How would you encourage people that don't think the title pastor is in their future to pray through and think through whether or not they might be called to church planting.
1: Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you're not currently a pastor, you're not in ministry, but you're praying about planting a church, being a part of a church plant team. Is that, is that who we're kind of addressing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I would say the cool thing is what I've observed in almost every church plant that I know is that God calls the the person who will be planting and, and you know, the primary leader, and his family but God also calls huge amount of encouragement around him and usually those people are the front the front tip of the spear so they get into that that you know really fallow broken up ground and they they that that dry ground they kind of break it up and they don't always stay Mo- in fact most of the time they don't it's very it's the exception is when someone comes to help and then they end up staying for the rest of their life that's that's a very big exception so I would say if you desire to be a part of seeing something from the very ground up, so where the Holy Spirit alone gets the glory, where God alone gets the glory, it can't be that, well, we tried that you're all you can say is, wow, that had to be God, you know, because look at, look around, look at this team to see something kind of spring out of nowhere to just watch God work in very unique and fresh ways to see lots of new believers because typically most people most church plants or most churches have the the bulk of and it's not it's not every church but most of them have the bulk of those new believers in their first 5 years. Uh, and so this mm. is going to be a team that is spry, they're like let's go for it, let's have unity and let's just reach this community. So if you're that type of person driven by evangelism, driven by excitement like just wanting to see God do something, you know, my friend Bruce Zachary says after your first anniversary You know, if, if, if you're having a church anniversary and you've been around for 30 years versus your first year at your first year anniversary, you're basically like, Hey, we've got a hundred dollar budget. What can we do? And the church is like, we have a hundred bucks, dude, this is great. (laughs) Somebody bring your grill let's set up in the parking lot. We'll put up a tent. Maybe we'll do some cornhole and we'll invite the whole neighbor. This will be great. And I don't know somebody buy some hot dogs. And so that type of like grassroots, everybody gets your hands dirty. Everybody wears a variety of hats. Um, there's no specialists. There's all generalists. We're all doing everything. And so, you know, like I said, the decathlete you're kind of good at, mm-hmm. you're moderately good at a lot of different sports. And so if you're that type of person, you might be a little bit gifted at worship, and a little bit with a heart for kids and a little bit open to greeting and you'd love to host people in your home and Hey, I can help with website if needed. You, okay, great. That's what you're going to be doing. You're going to be doing all those things and everybody at the beginning is doing that. So versus, you know, a 30 year anniversary, 30 year anniversary, you give someone a hundred bucks on the planning committee and they're going to be like, what are we going to do with this? We can not do yeah. anything with a hundred bucks. So mm-hmm. um, everybody's a specialist. It's like the football team with the special teams, you know, coach and so it's just a totally different thing. So I would say if if that sounds like something that gets you excited for a short term time. And what's cool is we we actually had a family who was definitely called to that. They loved hosting people and they loved just coming in, doing setup, doing whatever's needed. They prayed for me. They encouraged me constantly. They supported us a little bit. They have done that now. That's like their thing. They've done that with like seven church plants since mm-hmm. ours. And, and, oh, wow. that's and awesome. so that, that's their thing. And it's so needed. And so to have a family come alongside a pastor and say, hey, we love what you're doing. We're for you and your wife. Can we stay home with your kids while you have a needed date night? Can we just be the first tithers and the, the last ones to leave and lock up? Um, and we'll set up and tear down. Don't worry about it. We got you. I mean, as a church planner, as a pastor, that's what we pray for. We want that. So, you know, I think that that'd be a great. If that describes you, that's a great opportunity to pray about um, being involved in church planning for sure.
0: Yeah, I think that's so good. I, I think that for many people, they hear about the idea of church planting and they think, OK, well, I, I can't preach and I don't know enough acoustic guitar to lead worship. So I would just be added weight to a church plan. I don't have anything to offer. And here you're you're throwing out so many different skill sets of like web development hospitality, you know, can you plan a barbecue, you know, all these different things where it's like, we need this crazy variety of skill sets. And it's almost like you find this big group of people and it's like, okay, what skill sets are in the room? There's a way that we can utilize all of these different things. It's not, you have to have one of these four. Otherwise church planting just definitely won't be your thing.
1: Yeah, no, you're definitely not added weight. I mean, our first Christmas Eve service in Tampa, we had my family and a homeless guy and I was basically like ready to go sell ice cream. Like I'm done. Let's pack it up. So to, so to have more people there, even in the room, you know, taking notes, being a part of it that we look pastors, we church planners, especially we look at empty seats and we're devastated and Mm. visitors look at empty seats and they go, Oh good. There's a little bit of, especially now there's a little space between me and that other guy. But yeah, it's, it's so encouraging to have, people who are, Hey, I'm just here to attend and pray and be a support. And they're not going to, they're not necessarily going to preach for you. They're not going to be your next missionary, but they're there, man. That's, that's huge.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I've heard about getting your team together is that the way that churches often go wrong in planting is they plant before the team is fully ready. And they they jump in a few months too soon rather than being extra patient and starting perhaps a few months too late. What are some of those markers that you looked for that let you know that the team was ready to plant?
1: Our first church uh, was just my wife and I, her mom, and a, and a guy. He was not the homeless guy Christmas <laughs> Eve. He actually was out of town. And we started basically someone came and said, Hey, we see you're doing set up and teardown at this hotel. It was our first, first, very first night, Sunday night. And he said, let me just pay for a space for you guys for the first year and I'll pay for it. And we were like, Whoa. And that was really great, but that maybe pressured us into starting too quick. So we, we started mm. like four weeks later and I, and I call it the tyranny of the weekly. Like once you're in it, mm. you've got, you've got lyrics to print or post, and you've got sermons to preach, you've got people to follow up with and it just if you're not ready, if you don't have planning center online, you know as an example, if you don't have that like kind of dialed in. If you don't have, you know, you're using like the the version of pro presenter that your sending church had, you still got that license and there's a <laughs> watermark up there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh you're you're basically like we had to steal our church one of our church's sound systems just so we had one. And I joke, they 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 sent it with us but you know, I they to, didn't find uh, out right
0: now that that's how they, you got that sound I'm system. I'm hoping
1: they're not listening to this right now because <laughs> I'm in trouble. But Because um, you still owe it back. I still owe it back. But yeah, so there's definitely some, I think we were maybe started way too quick. Down here at church number two, we had an interest meeting at a local coffee shop. Probably should have done a couple of those, but we did one. And then we started about a month later doing Sunday nights. And we took about four months to do that. And that was about right. Four months Mm. we had a Sunday night service doing Colossians and a couple worship songs. And then we do an hour interest meeting afterwards where we would talk about the vision of the church and then start doing some team building with the people that were there, kind of see where their gifts were, hear mm. their testimony, kind of vet them a little. Cause when you plan a church, you're running people off as much as you're attracting them. So mm. there, there's going to be lots of crazy people that go, Oh, a new church. Finally, I have an opportunity to get in leadership somewhere. And, that you, so you got to run some people off and, and vet and protect the church. But yeah, that, that, that helped us get a little more ready. And I would say if you don't have a worship leader or if you're able to lead worship, then that's, that's awesome. But if you, if you're not and you don't have a worship leader, you have no clue on how to like take care of kids in kids ministry. You haven't really thought through systems. So like what happens if someone gets saved or, you know, again, planning center, having some sort of mm-hmm. database or scheduling or planning, you're just like, well, I don't know. We'll figure it out as we go. I I would say, wait, you know, like try mm. to build some of that out. Make sure you know who you are theologically. Make sure you know who you are in some of the practical aspects before you just ready, fire, aim. Because once again, once you're in it, you're in it. So I think too many guys plan too quickly rather than, you know, let's just wait a little bit longer. But then, of course, you don't want to wait um, too long. And then it Mm -hmm. never, it never happens. So I think part of it is one of the best practices I think is doing a Thursday night or a Sunday night and kind of letting people see a little bit of what this church is going to be like. That'll thin out some people who are not about it. Mm. Um, You don't want that like, Hey, you're going to be a leader. And then they thin out, we asked our people to commit to one year. I'm like, we want to ask you to serve with us for at least one year so that we're not having false starts constantly. And that helped for sure. We actually had a couple people bail out on that, but Having a Sunday night or Thursday night service, even if it's a prayer meeting and a quick study, that's a helpful best practice. And then, but then give those people some assurance like, Hey, this is the date. And I think gearing up for a Sunday morning launch, if you'll call it that, whatever is, is really a best practice. And there's better times to do that than others. Depending on where you're at the beginning of summer, not a great time. Easter Sunday is an awful time to plan a church because you've got Mm. all these, either nobody shows up because they're all going to their church that they go to or a ton of people show up and it's Easter. Nobody comes back the week after Easter.
0: Yeah. They're like, where
1: do these people go? And they go like the groundhog back into their hole until next year. So we'll see you at Christmas. That's right. Uh, They saw their shadow. So, so that's a horrible time to plant, but you know, late January is a good time. September, October is a good time. So there's, there's some like better times than others Mm -hmm. to kick
0: it off. So yeah, no, that's really good. I guess the the last category that I'd ask you about, which I'm sure is everybody's favorite category, is church planting finances. Oh, yeah. You know, like you said, we're not attempting to be businessmen. That's not the first thing that we want to be focused on, but it's not nothing. And it's a really important part of creating a healthy community. How did you begin to go about those conversations when it was more than just okay, a community is growing, now it's time to take that next step. How did you start those conversations about finances?
1: Um, Yeah, I think you definitely, like we said earlier, you definitely want an outside team, whether you call it the board or the finance team. Usually, depending on your state, some states you don't have to do the 501 uh, status, so you can pursue Mm -hmm. a state exemption and still be a not-for-profit corporation in your state, and Florida's one of those. So it depends on the state. 501c3 is expensive and lengthy, process to to go through. But I think having a group of pastors that have already done this and who I think church planners are some of the best guys to have on the board, even guys that are like five years in, two years in, they've just gone through this. They know the pitfalls currently. So I think that's super helpful to have those guys. I think kind of preparing yourself for what the expectation is going to look like on your on your personal finance side so making mm-hmm. sure you're you're supported or have a job making sure you understand what housing allowance looks like some people don't they they jump into it we didn't know we didn't know housing and social security and taxes and we ended up getting hit with self-employment taxes that we just weren't prepared for and owed like 10 mm-hmm. grand from a few years at the beginning so we're still paying that off it's kind of a bummer so if any of your listeners want to you know Help out a guy who's not. We're, this uh, is how
0: you're beginning that conversation. <laughs> yeah.
1: So on the financial side of things, I think from the very beginning, know what you want your budget to look like as a church. So from the very first $100 we had, actually, when we announced it to our sending church, they a guy walked up and handed me a $1,000 check right the very first day. So that was just like a, wow, okay, Lord, we know you're with us. Yeah. But from that first tithe check, we just determined we are going to give 10 to 30% to church planning and missions right out of the gate from every dollar we receive. And, you know, from there, what's, what's your support going to look like? Are you going to be outside supported? Or are you going to have a, a housing, at least a housing allowance of a, a few hundred a month, you know? So just kind of thinking through those things. And I think talking to experienced church planners are, is, is a key thing to do, but have some men, you know, on your board or on your finance team who can, you know, experientially kind of walk you through some of that stuff. Cause it's, it's don't just assume it's going to be easy. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a challenge in some, some respects.
0: Yeah. Thinking through approaching the conversation with the people that are starting to come out, like let's say you've got an interest meeting going, there's a small group essentially that you're meeting up with and I can imagine how for a lot of people, it's really fun when it's like kind of a play church, for lack of a better term of like, oh, yeah, we're meeting up, we do all this stuff. But then I go back to my real church and I'm a part of this other more established thing. I can imagine how bringing up the financial conversation would run those people off. It is part of that the way that you go about that conversation. Or is it one of those things where if asking somebody to be invested in a church that they might call home runs them off, then you've done a good thing.
1: Yeah. I think it's, this is a broader answer, but I think it's really good to get a, some type of commitment from people who are going to be with you. So Mm -hmm. whether it's like, Hey, I want to know your, your story, your testimony. And that way you're not having people serve who aren't believers. You know, that's, that's kind of helpful. My argument is every, every person serving should be, we should know that they're a Christian. We should have a relationship with them. I don't think it's consistent to have an unbeliever holding the door open. I mean, I'm not going to tell you, you know, don't hold the door open for people. But Mm -hmm. if you're going to be officially like a serving part of our church, we want to make sure that you're a believer. So I think just getting that commitment of like, Hey, we want to know your testimony. We want to, we want to know your commitment and you're not joining our church, but you're submitting to one another. Uh, Ephesians five is real clear on that. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I mean, that's not just for marriage. That's for the whole body. You know, are you going to submit to the leaders? Uh, like Hebrews 13, are you going to obey or we don't love that word. Are you going to respect and honor, you know, the, the pastors or the, the pastoral you know leadership? I'm not anyone with any authority except for the scripture. So, you know, are you, are we going to have the scriptures be the highest arbiter mm-hmm. for all of these issues? So, I think just getting that commitment. And and that's why I added that extra, like, Hey, we're, we're getting this started. We don't want to have to keep recycling like kids ministry leaders. So will you make a year commitment with us, which includes, here's what it entails. We're going to come Sunday nights as often as we can, unless we're providentially hindered. And we're going to give of the first fruits, whatever amount, you know, is sacrificial and joyful, Uh, and we're going to commit to pray for this church and we're going to be in the thick of it, doing whatever's needed as we're able for the first, for the first year, for sure. And so that, I think that's, that's helpful. And if, yeah, if people, people run back and some churches, I think it's really awesome that they, I love this idea of garden planting and I want to plant a few churches this way, which is where I think the CMA Christian Missionary Alliance does it this way. Mm Um, you essentially, raise up a guy or have a guy come into your fellowship, take him on staff as a pastor, and then have one of the existing staff, maybe it's a senior pastor, just start to encourage him and pour into him. Recognize him as a church planner to the body, say to the church, hey, this guy's going to be planting right here in our backyard, like one town away or just up the street. He's going to be starting a Thursday night or a Sunday night service. We want our church to pray about making, some of you making a year commitment to going with him. And when you go with him, you're giving to him, or to this church, you know, and you're you're serving alongside him. And then at the end of that year, stay with them. Or if the Lord leads you back, then, then come back and be a part of your sending church. And then you keep that guy on staff for a year. I I love that idea. And Mm -hmm. I'm praying someone will be called to our backyard so that we can do that. So I think that that's, that's healthy. If you're, if you're um, starting out that you have a sending church that maybe at the very beginning could at least take tithes and offerings. If you don't have your 501 status yet, you know, Mm -hmm. they can, they can kind of take that and feel that and distribute that for you for the first couple of years.
0: this has been super fun. As we wrap up, is there any one last thought or encouragement that you would want to give to the prospective church planter that's listening?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think don't overthink the whole process. Don't get lost in all the details. I know you want the perfect font, the perfect web address, and that other church already got it. You know, you want to be in the perfect venue and you want to just be the next big thing you want to be the next, whatever it is that, that you've looked at and said that that's what church planning is in my mind. The Lord's going to certainly use your plans. He's going to use what you've written down on paper and what you've dreamed and prayed through. But what's going to end up happening is going to be far different and far greater than anything you could have you know dreamed up or prayed through or, or in your own strength planned. So I just want to encourage you to trust the Lord. You know, the scripture says in Zechariah four, six, not by might nor by power, by by my spirit, says the Lord. So be reliant on the work of the spirit in your own life. Make sure that you don't overthink calling at the expense of character. So I just want to challenge you to look at Titus one, look at First Timothy three. If there's an area where you're not blameless, you know, then slow the process down and, and begin working on that character. We we need less men who are incredibly bright and, and, you know, shooting stars that end up burning out. So just guard your heart, love your wife, you know, cherish your children and plant a church for the glory of God and, and be, be excited and be ready to see what the Lord's going to do. In the next few years, you'll look back and say, you were a success, not because you did this awesome thing, but because God was faithful to plant the gospel. So be willing to go for it.
0: So good, so encouraging. How can people connect with your teaching and your podcasting?
1: Yeah, um, I have a website, pilgrimbenham.com. So I, I post and blog regularly. Our church podcast is Shoreline Online. So you can look you can look that up on YouTube, Shoreline Online, you can look that up on anywhere you get podcasts. We're on Anchor and Apple and, and the rest. And our website is this is shoreline.com. I'm also a contributor with the marriage and ministry podcasts on good Lion, and the, I'm part of a group called the gospel forum, which is just a, a local thing to help kind of people new to the church, understand the gospel. So love to chat with you. I, I answer every email, so I'd love to love to connect all good
0: stuff. Pilgrim. Thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. Thanks so much, man.
2: Thanks for listening to another episode of the good Lion podcast. If you like our show, please take a minute to give us a review on iTunes. It seriously helps so much. The more reviews we get, the more people will find us. And so if you want to help the show, please just go on iTunes and leave a quick review. We also love questions from listeners and we love to do episodes focused on questions. So if you have a question and you want us to talk about on the show, send it to our email address, which is at gmail.com. Send us a question. We'd love to talk about it on the show. The Good Lion Podcast is a production of the Calvary Global Network, and it's produced by myself, Aaron Salvato, and my co-host, Brian Higgins. Our show is a part of the Good Lion Podcast Network, a network of Christian podcasters that Brian and I started with our friends. Check out our website, goodlion.io, where you can find a ton of other Christ-centered, encouraging, and equipping podcasts. Our goal with this ministry is to reach people all over the world with Christ-centered content that helps them as they walk closer with Jesus. If you like what we do and you want to support us, go to goodlion.io support. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.